Well, thank you guys so much for having us here. It is truly an honor to, uh, to be with you and just getting to know some of the people. You guys have an amazing group here. And so a lot of faithful uh, people, a lot of faithful members and uh, just meeting people who have been disciples for 30 years and 20 years and all these stories and moving and serving God. It's, it's amazing. Uh, and you, I know you realize it, but sometimes when we're so close to people, we don't see how great they are. You know, you get so used to them that you forget. Sometimes we can do that with our spouses, right? We can do that with people that we're here with. You guys are on an amazing adventure. Southern California is so big, and there's so many millions of people, and so many people are looking for what you have right here. They're looking for best friends. They're looking for community. They're looking for love. Things that even as we've been in the church for a long time, we can take that for granted, what we have and the memories we have. And sometimes, say it isn't true, but we can even take our leaders for granted. They even took Jesus for granted. Even when he went home, they didn't appreciate him. You think, how can that ever happen? You know, Joe and Lynette, to me, are amazing examples of faithfulness. Joe was telling me how he's been in the L.A. church for such a long time in the same area. But the thing that stands out about them to me is really their hearts for God and just the purity of heart. That they just want to love God. They, want, they love you guys. They love their family. And it's not about, it's not a job for them. It's really who they are. And I'm amazed and, and really called higher by their purity of heart. I know we are drawn together by our love of football as well. Uh, that that helped. Uh, but uh, we're really uh, inspired for a long time. We were one of the few couples that were also involved with marriage ministry only in the church. There was like three of us. And so at every conference, we would find each other and encourage each other, console each other sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're, we're so grateful. We've talked about doing this for a long time. So I appreciate you guys uh, inviting us, and, uh, and it's humbling to be able to speak to you guys and to be here for, for one, one time. But I know that God is powerful. Why don't we start off with a prayer, and we'll, we'll get going. Uh, Father, I do thank you for this time to be together, to meet faithful disciples all over the world and here all over California and here in the Simi Valley. God, I pray that you bless everyone in here, that today in a short time that we're together, that you can open up our hearts, that you can lead us, that you can help Danielle and I to not just speak our words, but to speak your words, God. Get us out of the way so that we can see the message. I know you have a message for each one of us every time your word is open. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can be turning in your Bibles to John chapter 6 or look in your program to John chapter 6. I saw the scriptures there. Uh, And today is called Faithful Feast. And it kind of goes together with Thanksgiving as we've all been feasting and enjoying family and being together. And maybe we weren't enjoying family, but we were all together. I know I almost killed a couple nephews and nieces over this past week, but we made it through. And we loved each other and we apologized and all that. But family brings it out in us, doesn't it? For the good and, and for the bad, and ultimately, there's, they, we care about them so much. 
And uh, my, my heart for today, my point is that true life and true feasting is found in Jesus alone. I pray that you'll remember that, that outside of Jesus, we will go hungry in this life. And uh, as we are going through, uh, the, the story today is the, the parable uh, or the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And we're very familiar with that story. And uh, as I was thinking about the two fish, I was reminded of, a, of another story. My son and I, we like to fish and hunt and do all kinds of outdoor stuff. And so this past summer, we were up in Oregon with Danielle's family and we wanted to go fishing for the big fish, these big rainbow trout. And we talked to the, the guide there, and we want to go do this. And he kind of looked at us with a face just like, I don't think this is a good idea. He's was telling, you know, he's been fishing for like 25 years, and that year he had caught zero of these fish. And he does this for a living. He's out there all the time. And he even stopped fishing for those th- big fish. He was just fishing for these other fish. And so we said, well, we convinced him. Well, let's give it a try. So we went out fishing and, you know, my son, he's 13. And, you know, you really, you want your kids to catch fish, right? When you go fishing, you ever go fishing with your kids? They don't catch fish. They don't like fishing. It's not fun. And so we went out and within the first 15 minutes, we caught a big six pound fish. It was like this big. The, the guide was just amazed. Can't believe you guys caught this fish. I was just amazed that we caught fish because we tend to lose fish. And, you know, we catch them, but they don't actually get into the boat. So people think we, you know how that is. And then an hour later, we caught another big fish. And we went back to, to the, where we were with everybody. And, we're, you know, we're showing off our fish. And like, wow, look at this thing. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. And the guy just said something simple. He says, yes, somebody was looking out for you. And he looks up to heaven. <laughs> that this wasn't possible. And the most exciting thing for me was to see my son's face to know that everything is possible. Yeah. You know, we, maybe you're in that same situation that you want to catch some. You want God to do something big with your life. You want to catch a big fish. Maybe you're out there fishing, but you're not really sure that anything is going to happen. I hope God blesses me. Or maybe you're like the guide. You, you just stop fishing. God's not going to do anything for me. It's, it's over. I'm done. Well, I hope that today you will find faith. And in John chapter 6, let's start reading in, in verse 1. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When he looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy food for these people to eat? And so at this time in Jesus' ministry, it's right after John the Baptist dies which is Jesus' closest friend. It's his cousin. And so they went out and they said, we're going to go to a solitary place where we're going to rest, where we're going to get recharged, where we're going to get, you know, closer to God. And so they arrived at this rest, this vacation, and a bunch of people showed up. How how would you be feeling? We're going to go get away. We're going to have a restful time, and thousands of people show up at your place. (laughs) No, this 
this wasn't what, but that wasn't Jesus' heart. It says he had compassion on the crowds. And they were with him for three days, and he asked his disciples, what are we going to do for these people to eat? And let's continue on in verse 6. He said he asked him this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half, half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. You know, you got to love Jesus. That he leads them into an impossible situation, asks them an impossible question, but he know, only he knows what's going to happen. You may feel like sometimes Jesus puts you in impossible situations where you don't know how you're going to get out of it or what's going to happen, but he knows. And maybe you're like Philip who's trying to figure it all out and trying to calculate how God's going to do all this. And it's going to take eight months' wages for everybody. And you can imagine Jesus just kind of smiling, saying, okay, that's, that's one way to do it. <laughs> and maybe you're Andrew. Well, we have a little. But Jesus can do anything in every situation, Jesus just doesn't find a way to survive, but a way to blow our minds, a way to increase our faith, a way to help us to see God. Maybe you're in an impossible situation right now. Maybe you're in an impossible relationship. This can never get better. We just fight every time we talk to one another. Or maybe you haven't talked in a while. Maybe you're in an impossible financial situation. God, I don't know how we're going to get out. In every situation, just think about it for a second. What is your impossible situation for God? What is the situation that you just said, this will never change. This will never be a blessing. This area will never be good. And, and how are you going to get out of that situation? That's what Jesus asked. How are you going to get out? How are you going to feed all these people? And maybe we're, we've been, I've, I've tried. I've tried to figure it out. I've tried to calculate it, and I've asked people. And Jesus wants us to continue to look to him in impossible situations. And he's the one that put them there for that very purpose. He put them there. In one sense, you could look at it, he put you there to be frustrated to be defeated so that you can look to him and see him and his power. You know, God has brought each one of us here on an amazing journey. When I think about where I am now, I'm amazed at how got me to that. God got me to that point. I wanted to tell you a little bit of my story so you can get to know me. You know, I grew up in a family that we went to church every week, and yet it was a very painful time. You know, I look out in the audience, and there's some of you that it's, it's pretty painful to be here. 
you don't really want to be here. I saw we were singing, and you were kind of, mm. I'm in the team ministry, so I kind of see these things, right? Maybe you think you, people don't see it, but they see. That was me. I would lay in bed and just hope they wouldn't come wake me up each week. They kept coming. <clears throat> when I was a senior in high school, I thought I had everything. I was captain of the football team, top 10 in my class, popular. I just felt like, wow, life is good. I can do whatever I want. That was my attitude. And many of you can relate. And then one day I went to school on a Monday and a friend of mine named Keith over the weekend had died in a drinking and driving accident. One of my other friends was driving and he was one of the passengers. And for the first time in my life, life got hard. It had been easy up until then. We, we all went to the funeral. We all said we were going to change. And I remember sitting in the parking lot afterwards thinking about my life. For the first time, and I was scared. And I prayed to God, God, if you're there, show me. It wasn't a very deep prayer. It wasn't like these guys before church. <laughs> I saw a guy on TV pray after he scored a touchdown. This was before the Tim Tebow made it really popular. And I remember being afraid and just saying, God, if, that, if I do well in my games, I'll do that. And so I ended up the next week, I prayed after scoring a touchdown. This is where my mind was. I wasn't really spiritual yet. That was like a big deal. And then the following week, I prayed twice after scoring twice. And the following week, three times. But I only had, this was like, Amazing. I wasn't that great at that time. And then later on, I, it came time to apply for colleges, and I was applying to Harvard. And I wrote, it said to write the most eventful thing in your life. And so this was just two months after my friend died. So that's what I wrote. I, I, I told him everything that happened. This is what happened. This is what they were doing. This is where I was at. This was the prayer in the parking lot. This was my prayer about the football. And I wrote it all down. And I showed it to my mom. <laughs> she looked at it and she said, well, this is really nice. But we can't send this. Let me change it for you. Let me go back. She, you know, she was inside. She was horrified. Like, what? This is, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. And so we had a conversation, and I said, no, that's what I'm sending. You're not changing it. But, and she tried to reason with me, you know, how kids can be, right? You know, no, this is what I'm sending. So I sent it. And I ended up getting in. And two weeks later, after I got to school, is where I met a disciple on the football team. You know, he invited me to church, and that changed the course of my entire life. From a little event that was big to me, from a bad essay. I didn't even let her change anything. 
And yet God was at work in all of our lives. You know, as Ivan put it, the most expensive sociology degree in the world. (laughs) But it wasn't about that. It was about God finding me. And that's where I, where, what it took to find me. You know, there were some very famous people there. Matt Damon was one of my classmates. I don't even think he graduated. I don't think he needed to. He just <laughs> started and he's doing all right, you know. <laughs> Saved a couple year tuition. But uh, it wasn't about that. It was actually a really difficult time for me the entire time. I, I, I was in the bottom 20 in my class. 20%. But it wasn't about that. It was about finding God. I met a lot of rich people that weren't happy. A lot of successful people that were pushed by their parents, and, but didn't have what I had. Didn't have what you have. That's the spiritual journey that God takes each one of us on. In verse 11 here, It says, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over of those who have eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Sometimes God doesn't even need our faith to do a miracle. And maybe the guy, maybe he said, I ha- we have two fish. Maybe that's a mustard seed of faith, barely. God puts us in situations so that we can look to him and him alone. Imagine walking around with the baskets when he's finished. There were 12 baskets and 12 guys, all that we were worried about, and we have more than enough. God does, doesn't he do that so many times in our lives? We're so worried. We're so stressed out. I mean, I can wake up. I, I'm stressed before I even, like, open my eyes in the morning sometimes. And God works it out every single time. And we're walking around with our baskets, and guys, what were you so worried about? What are you so stressed about? That was easy. That was easy but they still didn't get it. Later on, it says that their hearts were hard. Even though, you know, sometimes we're like, well, I want to be there. Even though they were there, they didn't get it. Even though God has done so much for us and we still don't get it sometimes. The way he leads us. I ask again, what is your impossible prayer? What is your impossible to God? My challenge for each of you and myself included is to believe that that's possible. To hold on to your faith, whether you've been trying to figure it out or whether you just have a little bit, that's enough. And I know that God will 
we'll be carrying that basket someday. And we'll feel amazed and humbled. But I couldn't even believe, I couldn't even see it, even though he's been so faithful. And I want to invite my wife up here to share a little bit of her journey. As we get into the second point, Jesus wasn't done after just the feeding, but he wanted to make, teach them the meaning of what he was talking about. So I give you Danielle. Thank you. Um, we are just so grateful to be here. And I just have to say, we just adore the Collins so much. And um, thank you for having us. And I think one of the things that stands out to me about them so much is just their humility and just how sincerely they love God and want to serve him. And, you know, we have gotten together many times just exchanging ideas, trying to learn how do we do Married's ministry the best possible way. And it was such a treat being with them last night, getting to meet many of you. And also, I think the thing that stood out to me so much last night is they mentioned so many of you, and every single time it was, they are the most amazing people. This is such an amazing person. Like, they just really have so much respect for all of you, and that was just really a a treat to to hear. And so I'm grateful. You know, I love this story because I think Jesus, you know, he, my life is definitely an example of that, of him turning nothing into something and something that was really terrible into something great for him and you know I grew up I was born in Long Beach you know I was blessed to be with parents that really loved me and have loved me I grew up in an affluent family Um, my parents were divorced when I was five my my dad left my mom for another woman and, and that was challenging definitely challenging to not grow up with the dad And um, because life is really about love. And, you know, I was so I was at Boston College when I was met. And I remember going out to one of the very first services and the evangelist there shared. He's like, I want you to have what I have on the inside, not just on the outside, but on the inside. And that really, really convicted me because I had things maybe on the outside perspective, but I was such a mess on the inside, so much pain and insecurity, looking for love in all the wrong places, really trying to get filled up by relationships with men, by drugs, by success, so many different things. And I I feel like Jesus, you know, he loves taking, it's kind of like eating ramen noodles all the time to eating the Thanksgiving feast we just had. He loves doing just such great things in our life and who am I that you would allow me to know you and that you would want me close to you it 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 blows my mind that that I can be with him every day I mean what an amazing treat to to spend time with our creator and just his love and how he's transformed us you know just to have the marriage we have it's just such a gift I I can't imagine that we'd ever be married or we, you know, we don't have examples of, of great marriages. And, and just so our marriage, I think the incredible security that God has given me went from being so insecure to having so much security and, and hope. I, I love the hope that God gives us. We live in such a scary world, such an evil world. And, um, and then the gift of knowing how to parent. I mean, we get to work with the youth and family ministry and 
we're so blessed in God's kingdom to have answers about parenting and direction for our kids. You know, even um, our daughter is a, she has been a disciple for a little over a year now. And, you know, she is such a strong-willed girl, and um, her nature is not to be very humble or very loving, but to see who she can be with God is um, just a treat, who all of us can be. And she's an amazing girl, but just seeing how God has changed her. And, you know, we, we feel so privileged to work with the youth ministry. I just, I love, love being with the teens and just feel... Like, I want so desperately for all of our kids to see what a feast it is to be with God. And to see, I mean, that's my prayer even every day for my own kids, just that they would fall in love with God because he's so worthy. Um, But Satan can make it look so good out there and lie so much to us, but obviously to our children. And so it's just such an honor for us to work in the youth ministry and to try and um, show these kids God's amazing love. And I feel like even how God is transforming me now, I think the thing I'm really working on in my own walk with him now is to really overcome a lot of negative thinking. And I think as I get older, I worry a lot more, um, can be anxious about a lot of things. Even us being asked to move a little over a year ago was just totally frightening to me to move my children at this age into a smaller youth ministry from a bigger, all these friends. Um, but just that God is so faithful. And I, I feel like he's really just showing me more and more like this passage just to go from like famine to feast with him as I'm learning to trust him. Because I, you know, I really feel like Paul says in Philipp- one of my favorite scriptures is in Philippians 3, where it just says, you know, I consider it rubbish. I consider it, you know, everything the world has to offer is just garbage compared to this blessing of knowing God. And so I just feel that's a little bit of my story. I'm just grateful that God saved me so many years ago and that I hopefully can can help in a special way the, the young people or the families. But just thank you for letting me share and for having us. Thank you, Danielle. Definitely my better half. Um, and the, the second part here is really what Jesus wanted to teach them. You know, a lot of time he does a miracle, but then there's a point to it. When you read through the book of John, I mean, it's amazing. Every miracle that he did was followed up with a teaching of why he did it. And and the miracle was just so that they would remember it. Because we need that, right? We need that thing in front of us so that we can get it. But uh, in John 6, when you read a little further, I don't have time to read all of it. But point number two is faith in Jesus is life and lack of faith in Jesus is death. Faith is life, lack of faith is death. 13 times, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you believe in me, you will not die. If you do not believe in me, you will. 13 times after that miracle, In like 30 verses, 
He wanted to get that across. Because they still didn't believe. They still didn't trust him. They still were looking for something else. Look in John 6 and verse 28. It said they asked him, what, was, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. It's like, you want to do something? Believe in me. That's your job. That's why I'm here. That's what God wants from you. That's easy. You know, we can want to have the plan and give me the itinerary and all the things that you want me to do. It starts right here. Believe in me. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see and believe you? Really? Like, you were there. I don't even, you, you were just here. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to eat from heaven. The bread we just ate wasn't good enough. We wanted actually to come down from heaven. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, always give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The whole point of the feeding of the 5,000 was to point them to him. You think that's good. I am from God. I am the answer to everything that you have. I am the answer to life. But it gets deeper. In verse 52, it says, Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Wow. You know, we don't teach that the blood of Christ, that, that it, we don't teach transubstantiation, a long word, that some people from this passage have taught that, you know, the, the, the juice actually becomes Jesus' blood in your mouth and the bread becomes his body. That, we don't teach that. That wasn't what Jesus was trying to say. Every time he says, feed on me, it means believe in me. He says, eat my flesh, that translates, believe in me. Even when it doesn't make sense to you, continue to believe in me. In verse 55, he continues, For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. Whoever believes in me remains in me, and I in them. 
Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. That the manna was just getting you ready for me. It was preparing the way for Jesus. He said this while teaching on the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Where that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. These words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning who would betray him. He went on to say, that is why I told you no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That people walked away. Because they refused to believe when they didn't understand. Because they wanted to go their way and Jesus wanted to go a different way. They wanted Jesus to be a king like David. And he said, no, that's not what I'm about. He said, if you want to follow me, I'm going to go to the cross. That's where true life is. And in verse 67, he said, he turned to the 12, he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, there's times in our lives when God leads us to places where we don't want to be. Maybe you've been there. You know, a few years ago, this scripture meant a lot more to me after my brother had passed. And trying to help him to come to faith, and he didn't believe, even up to the end. And man, it threw me for a loop. I didn't know which way was up. You know, I'd... uh, come to church and just kind of come about five minutes late and leave about five minutes early. You know, I, I went, I was in a kind of a depression for, for a number of months. I didn't really realize I was in it, but I was there. It was just hard to get up and get motivated and painful. It was a dream that died. It wasn't just my brother that died, but that, My prayer was always for my family to come to faith. That was my plan. That's how it's all supposed to work, right? I look in the Bible, it's not how it all worked. But in my plan, that was the plan. And there was a lot of wrestling that all centered around this. And this scripture meant a lot to me. Lord, where else am I going to go? 
I can't go back to that, to my old life. But I don't understand. And I actually, I did understand. I just didn't like it. You know, if you want everything to be hunky-dory in your entire Christian life, you'll be one of those people that walks away. Because there's difficulties that come to all of us. There's things that we not just don't like, we hate. And we fight God, don't we? Why? This was a dumb plan. Why did you ever do this to me? And how do I know? Because I was there. And I'll be there again. Probably. And yet through that time, I learned a lot of what it meant to rely on Christ. When I didn't have a plan, when I wasn't happy, but I knew that I needed to live, on, to live by his way and to have faith. You know, maybe you've been there and I commend you for persevering. As I know, if you've been a disciple for any length of time, you've been to that barrier and you've made it. That's what I meant when I was encouraging the church in the beginning and hearing some of your stories. Just briefly, I know that you've been through that and your faith was proved genuine. And now you know that it's worth it. You know, as hard as it is, when we get there, it's all going to be worth it. There's not going to be a a hard time that we go through that we're going to go, well, heaven wasn't worth whatever that was. Whatever challenge or difficulty or lack of understanding or our desire, it's going to be so much better. You know, can you imagine Jesus as people even walked away and just thinking, You're walking away from the best thing, from the one who loves you the most, from the one who you mean the most to, from the one who's ultimately going to lay down his life for you and give you everything. That was the point of the miraculous lows that they would commit themselves to Christ like they never had before. We didn't even talk about the walking on the water, (laughs) which happened in between. (laughs) Jesus wanted them to get that nothing was impossible for them that he believed in them, that he wanted them to have life. I pray today as we take our communion that you can come to a greater faith that God can do anything in your life, that nothing is impossible for him, and that you can recommit your love to him, that you're going to follow him to the very end and know in your heart of hearts that it will be worth it. Let's pray for our communion as we take the bread and the